0: to Yo & Yo's podcast. We've had the privilege of advising Michigan businesses for over 95 years and we want to share our knowledge with you. Covering tax, accounting, technology, financial and advisory topics relevant to you and your business, Yo & Yo's podcast is hosted by industry and subject matter experts where we go beyond the beans. So if you want to stay in the know about business issues and trends that affect you, then keep listening because this is Everyday Business with Yo & Yo.
1: Hello, I'm your host, Dave Jewell, Principal and Tax Service Line Leader at Yo & Yo. Welcome to this episode of Everyday Business, where we focus on tax issues affecting your business and personal tax situation. Today, we'll be taking a break from tax law and hitting on a topic that no one wants to think about or talk about, but it is important to discuss given the digital age that we're living in. That said, today, our topic will focus on what you need to know if you find yourself as the victim of tax identity theft. And then we'll also discuss some tips for keeping your information safe, so you hopefully don't have to utilize the advice we'll be sharing for tax ID theft in the first place. I have two great guests who are joining me today. From the tax side, I'm joined joined by Terry Kronowski. Terry is a tax supervisor in our Saginaw office, and her expertise lies in all things related to individual income tax. She's also our go-to person for when tax ID theft issues pop up. She works with clients across the firm to resolve these issues as quickly as possible and to help prevent them from happening again. My second guest is Jeff McCulloch. Jeff is the president of one of our affiliate companies, Yo & Yo Computer Consulting. Jeff is going to lend his expertise to our listeners today and share some tips from an IT security standpoint and how you as a taxpayer can best protect your personal information. Jeff and Terry, it's good to have you both here on Everyday Business. Okay, Terry, let's dive right in on an unpleasant note. In your experience, how do taxpayers most often find out that their identity or social security number has been compromised from a tax standpoint?
2: Unfortunately, the way most taxpayers find out that their tax data has been compromised is when they file their tax return, and it ends up rejecting. In this case, someone has already filed a tax return using the taxpayer or taxpayer's Social Security numbers, and the IRS rejects it. And this return is called a duplicate.
1: I'm sure that's a surprise that no one wants during tax time. So let's say that this does happen to one of our listeners. They go to e-file their return and it rejects due to their social security number already being used to file a return that they didn't file. What are the next steps? Do they call the IRS? Is there a form that they can complete and file to alert the IRS? Also, how do they file their tax return? Will they ever be able to e-file again? I know I just asked you a ton of questions, but unpack this for us, Terry. What does the process look like once a tax ID theft issue pops up?
2: Well, it is a doable thing. It's unfortunate and, But your tax professional will notify you and they'll let you know that a duplicate return was filed and it rejected and assist you with the options that you have and the information that you'll need. Um, If you're using your own software, um, there will be some method that way as well. But what at this point you really need to do is don't call the IRS. They're going to tell you basically that they can't resolve the issue they need to. They'll direct you to the IRS website and they'll tell you to file your return on paper. Unfortunately, that return for that year will have to be filed on paper because your social security number has already been used. There is a form that they want submitted with the return. It's called the Form 14039 or 14039, the Identity Theft Affidavit. It needs to be completed and attached to the return so that it notifies the IRS of identity. The tax fraud, the identity theft. The form asks for your personal information, and it includes area for you to explain the situation. By submitting your tax returns with the form, the IRS will then process it, and will um, start their investigation. Generally, there's a significant time frame in this investigation, so I don't want you to think that it's something that will happen overnight. But there is a um, an identity theft line that if you wait some weeks a um, month at least um to call and that's i can give you that number it's 800-908-4490 it is the identity theft unit that actually works these cases to take care of them so dave you asked whether or not they could if could they file their return you filed in the future absolutely so what typically happens during that investigation that takes place is they identify whether or not the taxpayer needs an Identity Theft Protection PIN, often known as the IP PIN. Those are usually issued, well, they're issued annually in December, and those are what you use to file the future year tax returns. You need to have that number. Sometimes it's just the taxpayer, sometimes it's both the taxpayer and the spouse. So we just need, you need to make sure that you keep those documents that you'll receive at the end of the year and put them with your tax papers for filing your next year return. Um, for states, that's a different story. The states, unfortunately, all have their own processes. So that's something that you're gonna have to, um, we're in Michigan here. Michigan likes to use the same federal form 14039. You attach it to your Michigan return and provide information that way. Um, so sometimes, occasionally this happens, um, that you may receive an IRS notice. So one of the things that you always be careful with is IRS always sends everything on paper, but that doesn't mean that everything that comes to your mailbox is legit but the IRS or the state may send a letter notifying you asking you questions about a return that's been filed, and you may not have even filed your return yet. Again, that is still theft, identity theft, and the Form 14039 should be filed as well.
1: Okay, Terry, so million dollar question. If I'm a taxpayer, I go to e-file my return and it's rejected, and say that I am assuming that I have a refund coming back. If somebody has already filed using my Social Security number to probably falsely claim a refund, am I out of luck or do I have an opportunity to still get my refund that I'm due?
2: Absolutely. You can get your refund. You, IRS will, and states will not hold your refund if you're the legitimate taxpayer. The, uh, the, the identity theft unit will go after the others or do the research, but your refund is secure for you.
1: Okay, that's great information. I hope this helps our listeners understand that if they were to find themselves in this situation, that there is a path forward in order to resolve the problem. So thank you for sharing that information with us today.
2: Absolutely.
1: So while the potential for stolen personal information is a reality in the world that we live in, and sometimes there's nothing that we can do to avoid it, there is fortunately a lot that we can do to guard our personal information. Jeff, thanks for spending some time with us today. You've undoubtedly seen a lot of this over the years when it comes to personal information being compromised. What advice do you have for our listeners in an effort to protect their personal information?
3: Yes, Dave. Unfortunately, this is a big problem we have today. All businesses do. And I thought I'd just go over and review a few things any person can do to help prevent an identity theft. So some things are common sense items and some things you know you may not think about, but we'll share those so you have some Good tactics to do in your personal life. So, first of all, it starts out with creating strong and unique passwords for your devices and, and your online accounts is a, a very crucial piece to being secure. Part of the problem is is people will put password on some devices, but not all the devices. And you really need to have that from your cell phone to the tablet to your home computer, all having some form of uh, a password to get onto that device especially if you're conducting any type of business on that device. The other thing would be uh, setting up those unique passwords. Don't set up the same password for your bank account that you set up for your credit card and set up for uh, a general uh, website or for your email. If you have them all separate, if uh, you do run in the event of having a, one of the accounts compromised, at least you're not having to change your information on all of those sites. You would be just worrying about one of them. Another thing that over the years has come up is the security questions. A lot of the sites now are mandating a security question, and it makes more sense to come up with a, a bogus answer uh, to those questions. You would think, you know, those criminals might not know your your mother's maiden name or what your first address was or what high school you went to. But however, over the years, there's been so many sites that have been compromised. That information was really not known back years ago that your information was stolen and you you probably don't even know it, but it has been. Today you're notified if there's a compromise, but you know just a short period of time ago it was not a mandate. So uh, you want to try to stay away from security questions that uh, are pretty known or easily found on
1: you. Jeff, let's go back one one question that I have on passwords. Yep. What do you recommend? I oftentimes seeing people see people typing into their iPhones one two three four or 9, nine 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 to access their cell phone. Yep. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably not a very secure password. How many characters, what kind of combination yeah. of letters, numbers, capitals, different signs, etc. do you recommend to keep your information as secure as possible?
3: Well, and I, I would base it based on what device it's on. If it's a cell phone and your cell phone is used for personal reasons and you don't transact any business on it, then, you know, if you want to use 1111, whatever, that's fine. But if you're going to actually use that phone to go out to your bank account, do mobile deposits, um, make purchases, that information's on that phone. And if you don't have it secure enough, anybody that maybe find your phone, if you lost it, then you would be in trouble. Um, it's tough on a mobile device to set anything more than just a few numbers. So your best bet would be to set up the fingerprint or face ID, depending on uh, the device you have. And even those are not foolproof, so you know you wanna do as much as you can, which could be then setting up maybe uh, two-factor authentication, having another way of saying it's you, and that could be a text message back to your cell phone, that could be an email to your email account, but then at that point you have now uh, made it so that it's that
1: much Uh, more difficult for the criminal to get your information. Okay, good information there. Especially on dual factor, I know that that's just one extra step that people don't want to have to deal with, and it can kind of be a pain in the neck to always have to have a separate email or go into a different app. I mean, pretty much everything that we have here at the firm is dual factor, and we try to have everything locked down as much as possible and protected. But I think in the long run, a few seconds and one extra step compared to having Uh, Somebody compromised your information. That's probably well worth the trade-off Yeah, and and Dave the the big thing with that is if you're
3: making the criminal work a little bit harder They can find somebody that is not doing that just as easy. So they will typically then skip somebody that has a a, a two-factor dual authentication set up because I'll find somebody that doesn't have it and uh, That would that's a good way to deter them from from uh, trying to go after you makes sense. So some of the other things, you know, you get all these emails and a lot of people are paying uh, pay attention to the emails, a lot of people don't pay attention to the emails they get. When you're getting an email and you're expecting it, well then it makes sense to to maybe click on the attachment or on the link, but any email that's unattended or you're not waiting for or you're not expecting for it, there's no reason just to start clicking on it. Uh, I highly suggest that people use their cell phones to view email, but not to really transact any type of business back and forth. You should be doing that from a computer so that you can take your uh, mouse and hover over the links and make sure they're legitimate uh, websites of where it should be going to. And again, uh, paying attention to uh, should I be getting that. If, it's, if the email seems to be too good to be true, it, 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 it does mean that it's not, it's not intended and you should be just deleting those. Uh, Another big area that people um, are all using is the uh, social media. And that is a big uh, target for criminals. They're looking at people's social media to pull information from them to find out when they're going on uh, trips, uh, if they're doing the same thing every single year. People are telling when their birthday is. Well, your birthday is usually some of those things for um, uh, your passwords, security questions, could be birthdays. All those things you really want to limit what you're
1: sharing on social media because uh, they are definitely looking at that. Let me, let me stop you there and ask you a question. Yeah. So those things on Facebook where people list 20 questions and say absolutely everything about themselves, including where they grew up, what their <laughs> kids' names are, their moms, made, you know maybe not to that extent, but yep. does that just kind of make you roll your eyes and scratch your head a little bit because... Uh, to me, that's a way that, okay, you're telling somebody who wants to compromise your information basically everything about you. So, yeah. shouldn't people use caution? F- five years, I think eight years, just years ago.
3: Fun? Uh, the criminals weren't looking to social media today that's one of their number one um, spots to look for this information because unfortunately uh, the public is giving it away they're they're making it very easy for a criminal to find that information that's why I said earlier you know make bogus questions of security questions you know if it says well, you know where did you go to high school pick some high school in another state you know, make up a name, pick a, you know, whatever. You know, if you make s- some bogus information and only you would know it, uh, that would help against that. But, yeah, you should limit what you're putting on social media. You know, use it for what it's intended for. And I would not use it for sharing everything about your life because, it, unfortunately, somebody's going to use that information. Another big area that everybody needs to pay attention to is um, free or public Wi-Fi. They're great tools, but unfortunately there's a lot of criminals that set up what you believe is free Wi-Fi uh, when you're in a hotel, when you're in a restaurant, but they can also then clone a connection that you think is for that place and then it ends up not being that. So highly recommend if you're doing anything on free wi-fi that it would be general web browsing you should never be doing anything where you have to key in a username or a password because if you accidentally connect to a bogus wi-fi they would have uh tracking software on there and they would capture all keystrokes Uh, and at that point they would have your username and password very easily so use uh, the free wi-fi you know if you want to listen to music or you know search something or whatever but i would not transact any type of business on a free wi-fi
2: can i ask a question then yes so if i were in a restaurant and i was sitting there having coffee could i use like my iphone my data from my phone is that safe
3: yeah your your data plans you know whether that be with verizon or at&t or t-mobile whatever those networks are um as as secure as you're going to get at this point i don't know of any known compromises over those they very well could be but that is much more secure than using a free public wi-fi that free public wi-fi your problem is is you have no idea what security that place has that's offering the free wi-fi and if you're in a mom and pop uh, restaurant eating and you're gonna use their free Wi-Fi just think of what they might have for security at that place so it's just you, use it for what it would be intended for which is you know just internet browsing and not transacting any business always transact that business from your house on your internet uh, and again if you're in your house and using your Wi-Fi you know you know if you have that secured there at your house That's different than being at a Starbucks and using their Mm Wi-Fi.
2: Thank you.
3: A couple other things. A lot of people will set up accounts over the years and they kind of forget about the accounts. So if you have old uh, accounts out there, it's a great idea to close those down, get the information off of their database. Um, It's just one less area that you have to worry about um, where your information could be out there. We had talked a little bit about that two-factor uh, authentication. I believe that is something that you want to set up in anything where you're logging into to transact uh, any type of business. So your bank accounts, your credit cards, those are all you know. your uh, 401k plans. If you have any other investment accounts, I would absolutely set up uh, some type of two-factor, whether that be an email to you where you've got to get a pin out of it or if they send it directly to your cell phone, but that's a great way to uh, deter the criminals because there's another step that they would have to do to uh, get past or get your information. Uh, Sharing information, you know, we like to share all the stuff on Facebook and other uh, um, uh, social media sites, but really you don't want to be giving any information out to anybody. Uh, If you keep that to yourself, it's it makes it that much easier now it'd have to be something you've done versus somebody else has done to uh, share your information. Uh, keeping all of your equipment up to date you know whether that be your home computer your cell phone uh, or whatever don't just assume because you bought a, a brand new windows computer that it is doing updates. Um, they will fail if you're not rebooting your equipment um, the reboot process is really going to help that to clean up so that's just some of the things um, that I thought would be good to share uh, and talk about.
1: Yeah, no, those are those are great. Those are great tips to hopefully not have to go talk to Terry in the future <laughs> because your identity was stolen and you found out when you had a tax filing. Terry, what are a couple of things that you maybe share with clients? Just obviously the the tax documents that they get at tax time, W2s, mortgage interest statements, statements from their their bank with their interest dividends etc on there they have all sorts of personal information everything that you would need to open up an account about somebody that somebody would need to open up an account for you essentially minus maybe a birth date but name address social security number is all on there sometimes parents are on there with children and social security numbers even of children are on there so what are some tips that you can share with taxpayers to keep their information safe well
2: the number one thing is to be really careful, and Jeff went to it originally you know, a few minutes ago and mentioned, you know, keeping your, your documents close to you. First of all, keeping those documents in a secure location, putting them away, definitely checking back with your personal information, going for the bank and credit card statements on a regular basis to make sure things haven't been hacked. Order your free credit report, those will tell you if there's anything that's out there. Go through your mail that comes that not just throw it away. Um, potentially there could be that card that someone opened in your name that came in the mail. All of those things are part of being diligent with yourself and your security. So you know think of it as just a way to help protect yourself and any opportunity that you have to protect yourself online like Jeff was speaking is just it it, it's the same thing with paper Um, those documents you wouldn't want them into the wrong hands
1: right and I think one thing that's important for people to keep in mind too is that when you're done with something or you no longer need it shred it don't just throw I think everybody kind of has that mindset these days but you got to be real careful with what you throw in the trash or just leave setting around for somebody to stumble upon so uh, shred whenever possible okay so as we wrap up today. Let's say that a taxpayer or a listener does think that their information has been compromised. What are a couple ways that our listeners can recognize signs of identity theft? Well, a couple things, Dave, uh, are pretty simple. Uh, If if your
3: mail-at-home changes and uh, you're not getting the normal bills like you Typically, get each month. Uh, that could mean something has happened. Somebody has maybe changed your address or forwarded your information to another address. Obviously, uh, simple things. You go to take out a loan and you get turned down, and you go, "Well, there's no reason I should be turned down." Um, if uh, Terry mentioned, you know, reviewing your credit card and bank statements, you know, f- look for charges. Did I really make that charge? Little, real simple things. Tax return gets rejected, obviously, you know, that's another thing that would uh, cause you to think uh, of something. Unfortunately today, because of how many things are happening and how many compromises are happening and identity theft, it might be time to spend a little money and get some type of identity protection and uh, have somebody looking at your stuff on top of what you would be doing yourself. So that's always another way to, uh, to
1: do that okay great points guys thank you so much for joining me today on everyday business with yo and yo if you're interested in learning more about tax identity theft or how to protect your personal information visit yoandyo.com where you can find a copy of our show notes and additional resources thank you to everyone who joined us today i'm dave jewell and i hope you enjoyed this episode of everyday business with yo and yo
0: Thank you for tuning in to Yo & Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. Yo & Yo's Podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course, our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review. For more business insights, visit our resource center at yoandyo.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletters. We'll talk to you next time on Yo & Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast reflect the views of the speakers. This podcast does not constitute tax, accounting, legal, or other business advice or an advisor-client relationship. Before making any decision or taking action, you should consult with a professional regarding your specific circumstances.